What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the show. So I just wanted to give you guys a little bit of an update on what I'm up to because Jenna and I moved to Arizona for the month. And I said I wasn't going to do any podcasts because, you know, I didn't have my setup. Uh, you know, I didn't, wasn't sure if I was going to bring all my equipment. I didn't bring my, you know, roadcaster. I bring, didn't bring all that fancy shit that I usually podcast with. And then I thought, that's bullshit. Like, I can just plug in a USB mic and talk and stick to my routine and get podcasts out here because it is important to me. And so I was afraid that because it wasn't perfect that I just wouldn't want to do it at all and that you guys wouldn't listen and it wouldn't be perfect sound quality. And then I just thought to myself, that's bullshit. Like, just because it's not perfect doesn't mean you should do nothing. And I caught myself in that like perfectionist mindset of like, if it's not perfect, if you can't do your perfect editing and all the correct sound checks beforehand and you don't have this great mic, like don't do it at all, but that's bullshit. And so, you know, if, if today's sound quality isn't the best, if I, the ones I do for the next several weeks aren't the best, like, so what? I don't care. And I'm going to do it anyway, uh, because I know that it's important to me to stay in the routine. And just because it's not perfect doesn't mean I shouldn't do it at all. So yeah, as I said, Jenna and I moved out to Arizona. You know, I've been a personal trainer for about a decade now. I've been training people in person for a long, long time. And as I got more into online coaching, I felt that that was what I wanted to do full time. I really wanted to help people online. It was a platform that was allowing me to really connect and really help people. And very recently, as of the new year, uh, I'm now fully online. And so kind of to celebrate being fully online, we were like, ah, fuck it. Let's just go to Arizona. Let's go somewhere a little bit warmer. New Jersey's cold as hell. And um, yeah, so we came to Arizona and just, you know, brought Cali, have some really great hiking. And yeah, it is what it is. My mic is fucking sitting on a Catan box right now, which by the way, is the greatest game of all time. And uh, it's not perfect. Normally have this more elaborate setup, but it is what it is. And we're going to get started. So today we're going to do a Q&A. I put a box up on Instagram for fat loss only um, or mostly fat loss questions just because I feel like right now, early 2021, I don't know if you guys have been following along on Instagram. I've been putting up those words of wisdom. Like a lot of people are going into a cut and whether or not like January is a relevant time to do that and people need to be jumping on the like January bandwagon. Like it's besides the point, people are going into a cut and I want to make sure that there's content that I'm putting out that's relevant to them to make sure that people have a higher success rate, right? And have a better chance of succeeding and do it in a better headspace. So cool. Starting with our first question today, Eliza Dean, and she asks, or she says, my boyfriend likes to cook dinner with butter and oils. I feel like it ruins my progress and I can't track it. Any tips? A couple of things. One, the butter or oil that is being used to cook your meals is unlikely going to ruin your progress. Like full stop. Like it's just not enough calories to really make a huge dent. Like maybe there's a tablespoon of olive oil or a tablespoon of butter in there. But if, you know, this person, your boyfriend's cooking for both of you, it's probably split between multiple portions. Um, And so I really wouldn't worry about it. Just like from a net net, like this is not a big chunk of calories. It's not something to be totally, you know, massively worried about. Sure, there are calories. It could be 100 calories, could be 50 calories, could be somewhere in between that could be a little bit more if you're making like five different things. Each thing has a ton of oil. I get it. So you're either going to accept that this isn't a big deal. You're you're like, well, you should first accept that this definitely isn't a big deal. It's not a huge chunk of calories. But you can also still track it. You can estimate and move on. It's not a huge deal. You can say, okay, you can just, every time your boyfriend cooks dinner and you know he's using oils, you can arbitrarily just add a tablespoon of butter, a tablespoon of olive oil. This comes down to a recognition that this isn't a big deal and Coming to terms with estimating is okay. Like it's okay to estimate. Like tracking 
is only going to be a useful tool that actually helps you succeed if you're able to kind of go with the flow and be a little flexible with it. If you suspect that tracking needs to be 100% accurate all the time or you know it's just not gonna work, then it's not gonna work for you because you're never going to be able to all the time be 100% accurate and know exactly what's in your meals. So estimate and move on, add a tablespoon of olive oil, stop stressing about it. And yeah, you can ask him not to do that if you want. I mean, whatever, that's between you guys. But if this person's using oil, one, it's probably not a lot of calories, less than you think. And two, you can still track it. Just overestimate it, move on. All right, next question's from Sam Viveros, and he asks, I'm almost, quote, underweight, but I still have fat to lose and I wanna see abs. Do I continue cutting? Now, I'm assuming you mean underweight in terms of BMI. Um, and and to, honestly, to answer this question, I need way more context. I would need way more context. So I'm not answering this as a prescriptive measure. I don't actually know exactly the situation you're in, but I'm gonna take a stab at it. So underweight BMI, right? BMI, it doesn't necessarily mean you're unhealthy or that you're, like, yes, BMI is a, is a decent screening tool. It's not the be-all, end-all. It's not uh, something that should be taken and run with. And just because you're almost underweight doesn't mean that you're necessarily unhealthy. It doesn't mean that you're necessarily in a place where you can't lose more fat. But it does make me a little less gung-ho about being like, yeah, sure, go ahead, just keep cutting, no big deal. Like, it does make me think. You know, if you're close to underweight, if you were underweight and if you were on the low end of underweight, then I would probably have a different tone. But if you're not underweight and you're still, you'd still like to get leaner, I don't see why you can't do that. I mean, it does sound, however, like you've been cutting for some time, which means some time off might be helpful. And it sounds like you're very low weight already. Listen, if you're, if you're underweight and you're not lean enough, it likely means that your body fat percentage is a little bit higher. Because if you're underweight and you're not lean, you're likely in some version of the, you know, non-scientific word skinny fat. So you've probably been cutting for some time, which means some time off would help. And it sounds like you're very low weight already. So it's probably a good idea at some point, maybe right now, maybe soon, to take some time away from fat loss, build some muscle, and come back to hit this last stint of fat loss, you know, afterwards. Um, If you're almost underweight and you still don't have abs... Chances are it's your body fat percentage is high and you're probably going to do well to build some muscle first and then come back to fat loss later. And if you've been at this for quite some time, probably a good idea to take some time away and come back. But sure, it's possible everything's fine. It's possible you could keep cutting and it wouldn't lead to unhealthy outcomes and you could get a little bit leaner, you could lose more weight and you could be in an un- underweight um, BMI and still be totally healthy. That is totally possible. But it's also possible that that wouldn't be the case. And it might lead to unhealthy outcomes. And you getting even, you know, losing more and more and more weight actually at some point is also going to negatively impact your health. People talk a lot about being overweight. Dude, being underweight, not having enough body fat is also not healthy. Um, and so it's possible that you could be totally fine and lose weight, more weight and keep cutting and you could see your abs and everything would be fine, even if your BMI is underweight. It's also possible that's not the case. So just be smart. And my gut says take some time away from fat loss to build some muscle and then return to fat loss. I mean, if you don't have abs and you're, in an underweight BMI, it's probably because you don't have a lot of muscle, and that's probably a good thing to focus on. All right, next question is from Stephanie Garcia, and she asks, or says, I despise uh, cardio. Is calorie deficit and weight training not enough, or is it going to make things slower if I don't do cardio? Full stop, a calorie deficit is all you need for fat loss, and if you're creating that deficit through nutrition, you don't need to add formal cardio on top of it. Full stop, you don't need cardio to lose weight. Yes, cardio you know, is one of the inputs, formal cardio is one of the inputs of part of the equation, calories in, calories out, right? It's part of that calories out part. 
So movement or the calories you burn, how active you are, does matter if your goal is fat loss because it can help you create that calorie deficit. But that doesn't mean you need formal cardio. You can just be more active in your day. You can count your steps. In fact, I'd recommend counting your steps because it's all encompassing. It's going to encompass the movement that you do throughout the day. And you might be more active than you think, or you might just prefer using steps because it allows you to move in a way that you really like. And you don't have to do formal cardio. You can just take the dog for a walk. You can play tennis. You can go for a hike. You can just, you know, do housework, like whatever. And so you don't need to do formal cardio, but I do recommend not totally neglecting your, your movement and your activity because it is part of that, that input. And, and while I, again, I would say that most of your deficit should be created through nutrition, man, if you're not moving much and you're getting, you know, very low amount of steps, very low activity, it's likely you're going to have to eat very low calories, which, you know, probably decreases your chances of success. So yes, most of your deficit should come through the reduction of calories just because it's more practical and easier to, to bring calories down and to create the deficit with nutrition. But that doesn't mean staying active is not important. It totally fucking is. So go for walks, track your steps. You don't have to do formal cardio. You don't have to do any cardio. You don't even have to do be active. But the less active you are, the less calories you're going to be able to eat and still lose fat, which on the whole, from my experience, probably going to reduce the chance of success long-term. Cool. Kelsey J. Fit asks, reasons for scale fluctuations. I definitely know of a few. Okay. Um... I'm thinking categorically reasons for scale fluctuations. I can think of hormones, water, stomach content. Each of those have, I guess we can break it down. I think hormones we can look at just from a a menstrual cycle thing. Women are going to have periods of their cycle where they very likely retain a little bit more water. Totally normal. And again, it's cyclical. So as it comes on, it will eventually come off. And I also think hormonally, you know, we can see uh, chronically elevated cortisol can help, you know, can cause people to retain some water. And that can happen for a number of reasons. Cortisol is your stress hormone. And no, it's not all bad. But in this context, if you're stressed out for, again, a number of reasons, it can be from hard training. It can be from a long period of, of low calorie dieting. It can be from low amount of carbohydrates. It can be from lack of sleep. It can be from life stress. You're going through a divorce, a, a job change, you're moving, whatever. So hormonally, you can, re- you know, I, I, it's funny is like, yes, it's hormonally, but it's also water, right? So it's also water is actually a hormone is actually a subcategory of water. Y- your menstrual cycle and your cortisol can both lead to some transient water retention for sure. But now talking specifically about water, although I would put hormonally as a subcategory here, I think um, the big ones are increased glycogen storage. So if you have more, a higher carbohydrate meal, and I don't mean a high carbohydrate meal or a high carbohydrate day, I mean a higher carbohydrate day or a higher carbohydrate meal, higher than you typically have. Your body's very smart. It will regulate to the amount of carbohydrates you're eating. And if you eat low carb and then you have more carbs than that, you'll retain some water. If you have high carb and you have higher carb than that, you'll retain some water. So it's all relative to what your normal carbohydrate intake is. And so basically when you eat more carbohydrates, your body takes that carbohydrate and stores it in the muscles and the liver as glycogen. And specifically when it comes to muscle glycogen, it's going to pull for every one gram of glycogen, three to four grams of water. So that stored glycogen brings with it some water, which is not a bad thing. Water weight is not a bad thing. We're not in this game to, you know, manipulate water weight. Like you're, you're doing this for fat loss. Like this is water weight is transient and it has a cap. It's not like water weight is going to prevent you from losing weight. It isn't. Fat loss is always happening in the background, independent of all of these things. It's not like if you have high cortisol, you won't lose fat. You will, but it might be masked for a short period of time because of water retention. Same thing with glycogen, same thing with salt. Uh, I guess we'll move to salt here. 
salt was very similar than similar to my answer for carbohydrates. It's like if you eat a high salt diet, like habitually, and then you have a high salt meal, like you're not going to retain water. Whereas somebody else who avoids salt like the plague has one grain of salt and feels like, oh, you know what? Salt really doesn't agree with me. You know, salt doesn't agree with you because you never eat salt. And then when you have a little bit of salt, you go out to sushi one night, you go out to a restaurant that doesn't give a fuck that you avoid salt, you retain a bunch of water. And that's not because salt is bad. It's not because salt doesn't agree with you. It's because you never eat salt. And then when you have salt, that is by definition more salt than you normally eat, and thus you retain water. Another uh, would be inflammation, which is a, a big boogeyman term right now, but inflammation can cause some water retention, right? You could be having an allergic reaction to food. Maybe there's an underlying dairy, dairy or gluten insensitivity um, or sensitivity that you're not aware of, and or maybe it's just a food allergy that you're not not sure of. Um, and kind of in that same inflammation vein, like you can retain water from really hard training, like muscle, like that muscle damage can create water retention as well. So if you're, you might find that you weigh more after a really heavy leg day because you've caused a lot of the muscle damage, and there, in that repair process, there is some water retention that happens. So, yeah, good on that. Uh, and the last one would be just stomach content. Like if you ate more calories yesterday, there's more food in you. If you get on the scale, full stop here, if you get on the scale and then you stay on the scale and I come over and I hand you, you know, uh, uh, 600 grams of food, you know, a half pound of food, guess what? You're going to weigh a half pound more, right? You're holding it in your hand. What's the difference if it's in your hand or in your stomach? If you have a higher calorie day, chances are there's some water retention, maybe because there's higher salt or higher carb. There's uh, some increased stomach content because guess what? There's just more food in you, period. Like, and maybe if you had a late meal or an early weigh-in, there's just more food in you at that time of weighing in. That's why it's so important to have more frequent weigh-ins. I don't, it doesn't need to be every day, but if you're weighing in once a week, any of these things can throw you off. You can have a high carb, high salt meal later in the day um, and need to poop after a hard training day. You could be up four pounds. Is, is fat loss still happening? Very possibly, yes. But are you freaking out because of, you know, a multitude of acute factors that, you know, fucked up one way in? Absolutely. And so I'm not saying you need to weigh every day. And I'm not even saying weighing every week is a bad idea. The, the more frequent you weigh in, the better you'll be able to wash out these fluctuations. The less frequently you weigh in, because I do have some clients who weigh weekly, we just have to put less stock in each of those weigh-ins because we need to accept that there can be a lot of factors that are influencing that on a day-to-day basis. So we're not going to look at that week to week and be like, yep, this is what you weigh. We are going to zoom out and maybe look month to month. Whereas if you were weighing daily, we probably could look week to week because we do have that ability to wash out those fluctuations. Awesome. Next question is from Andy K. Min. And he asks, how can we lose fat with minimal muscle loss, especially when gyms are shut down? Let me see how long we're here. We're going here. Okay. Okay, so how can we lose fat with minimal muscle loss? I'm going to answer this question, and then I'm going to answer it with, especially when gyms are shut down, and then I'm going to talk about, is this actually a pursuit that you should be worried about? Like, are you, should you actually be worried about, like, this idea of losing muscle in a fat loss phase? So how do you lose fat with minimal muscle loss? Another way of phrasing this is just, how do you retain muscle while losing fat? Like, how do you retain as much muscle as possible? Well, the most important thing, full stop, is resistance training. You're sending a signal to your body when you train, that you need these muscles. You are sending a biological signal that you're, that you're telling these muscles, you got to stick around because if this, you know, if this, uh, uh, if these weights come back, I mean, imagine you're fighting like a tiger or evolutionarily speaking, I know this is, a, we're going off on a tangent here, but if you're, uh, fighting a tiger and you, you fought it off 
and your body was now adapting to that because your body knows if this fucking tire comes back, I need to be ready for that. So when you train with weights, you're telling your body, hey, I need to be ready for these weights should they come back. So your your body will be better able to retain muscle as your resistance training because you're continuously sending that signal of, I need these muscles, please don't touch any of these. And so if you're resistance training and you're in a deficit, you'll at the very least be doing the best you can to retain muscle. Now, what else can you do? Protein would be the second thing I would say. So eating, you know, 0.8 grams per pound or more of protein per day um, is the second best thing you can do to send a signal to your body. Hey, don't touch my muscles. Take from somewhere else. Like your body needs to, let's say you're in a deficit. Your body needs to bridge that deficit gap with something. So if you're in a 500 calorie deficit, your body's like, hey, I'm not in a deficit. I'm going to get that deficit from somewhere else. And it, you know, primarily is going to use your body fat stores. But if you don't resistance strain and you eat low protein, your body's also going to take from your muscle stores, your, your, from your muscle mass. It's going to cause, you know, increased muscle protein breakdown. And it's going to actually break down some muscle. So even if you aren't resistance training, yeah, you're probably still mostly losing body fat, but you are also are definitely losing lean body mass. And the best thing you can do to prevent that is resistance strain and then also eat, you know, 0.8 grams per pound or more of protein. Uh, anything else we can do? Yeah, you could probably lose a little bit slower, right? The higher the magnitude of your deficit, the more likely your body is going to pull from muscle stores. And if you're resistance training three to five times a week and eating enough protein, 0.8 grams per pound or more, it's unlikely you're going to get into such a steep deficit that your body's going to override those two things and still take an appreciable, sorry, an appreciable, appreciable amount of muscle. It's just not likely going to happen. So if you're resistance training three to five times a week, intelligently, intelligent programming, um, and your protein's 0.8 grams per pound or more, yeah, losing slower might help muscle retention, but I don't think losing a little bit faster than that is going to put your muscle in jeopardy. I really don't. And so now let's talk about, I guess I'll, I'll come to the gyms being shut down question in a second, but I think like this idea of, I hope I don't go on too long of a tangent because this is something I feel pretty strongly about. This idea of worrying about muscle loss in a deficit is a bit overstated. Most people listening to this, if I said, hey, you're going to lose 30 pounds, and five of them are going to be muscle. That's a lot of muscle. Five pounds. It takes a long time to build five pounds of muscle. If I said you're going to lose 30 pounds, but five of them are going to be muscle. Everybody listening would take that. You would take it. It's 30 pounds. Yeah, you lost five pounds of muscle. So what? On the net, it's probably really, you know, many, many, many steps forward towards where you want to go. So not only do I think most people overstate it, and actually it causes people to do a whole bunch of things that, that are actually, that might make them less consistent. I think if you... If you have a client whose primary goal is weight loss, fat loss, and you know they will be more consistent if their proteins, let's say 0.6 or 0.7 grams per pound, and you're telling them no, they absolutely need to get to one gram per pound, and that makes them less consistent. They enjoy it less. They don't last as long. They don't succeed as much because consistency is by far the big, biggest predictor. And because you're making them eat a gram per pound, they're just not enjoying their food, and they're not consistent, chronically overeating, and eventually they quit. All because you thought, as the coach, man, they, you know, I can't let them lose any lean body mass. Man, a lot of people, doesn't fucking matter. If you lose a small percentage of muscle mass as you lose a higher percentage of body weight, like you're going to be okay for two reasons. One, because on the net balance, you're probably fine with that. You're probably fine with losing 20, 30, 40 pounds and then also losing some lean body mass. It's probably still on the net balance really great for body composition, for health, potentially for health, and... On the second, in the in the uh, subsequently, I also think like, dude, if you spend 16 weeks in a deficit and you lose 
15 pounds, whatever. I'm making this up. This is not an expectation here. But let's say you lose 15 pounds and three of them were muscle. And you're like, wow, that's a lot of muscle to lose in one fat loss block. How quickly do you think you gain that muscle back when you start resistance training, you know, at maintenance, let alone in a surplus? The answer is so fucking fast. So you have people who probably shouldn't care so much about losing muscle if it means creating an environment where they're more consistent and they'll lose more overall weight. And second, dude, if you just get the fat loss phase done and you get your butt back to maintenance and maybe even a surplus, you will gain that lean body mass back so unbelievably fast. Like you will gain it back so quickly. And we don't need to worry so much about this little bit of muscle mass. People are freaking out. They're like, oh, don't lose lean body mass. Yes, okay, you don't want to lose lean body mass. Independently, that's not a great idea. But if you lose a little bit of uh, lean body mass in the pursuit of fat loss, and then you go back to maintenance and you're still resistance training, you're going to build that muscle back so fucking fast. Now, you know, how can you do this while gyms are shut down? Here, listen, gyms being shut down makes it tougher to do the kind of resistance training you'd need to do to maximally maintain muscle. But you can still do your best and you can get really damn close. I have a ton of clients who are training at home, a pair of adjustable dumbbells and a bench. You can retain almost all the muscle, full stop. Yes, is it like having a full gym? No. Can you still do a productive fat loss phase and retain a good amount of muscle? Yes. And when gyms do open back up and you go back to maintenance because you just crushed your fat loss phase, you'll gain that microscopic amount of muscle that you lost back in no time. Like it's extremely minor. Like don't not cut because you're so worried about muscle loss at home. And for a lot of folks, nutrition is easier right now. It might be a great time to take advantage of that. So if you're thinking, I don't want to cut right now because I don't have the kind of equipment that I need to really maximally maintain muscle, even though nutrition might be super fucking easy for me right now. Don't let that hold you back. You can cut. I mean, if you have absolutely no equipment, you have not one fucking thing at home. Sure. I don't know. Maybe don't cut. But I think if you if you didn't resistance train at all, you got no equipment, you have no you know, will to do body weight training, and you lost 30 pounds in the next six months, I don't know, I made that up, and you lost some, some you know, significant lean body mass, maybe, I don't know, whatever, four to six pounds of muscle, would you take that? Because I guarantee you, you'd gain those four to six pounds of lean body mass back when you go back to a gym, go back to maintenance, maybe even a surplus, really fucking fast. And you'll look back and be like, holy shit, I took advantage of that time at home, lost 30 pounds, yeah, I lost some lean body mass because I wasn't training, but it was very much easier for me, I'm not saying easier for everybody, there are some people out there that it's easier for, to really crush your nutrition. So don't not cut because you feel like you don't have the kind of equipment you need to fully maximally maintain muscle. Like you're good, you're gonna be okay. When you go back to maintenance, you go back to your gym, that muscle will come back. It's very much easier to regain muscle that you once had. Now, just because you don't have a full gym doesn't mean you shouldn't do what you can, doesn't mean it's still not a good idea to resistance train, you should. If you have nothing, do some body weight stuff. Like hire a coach, I have a million clients who are working out at home and I fully, like sympathize and respect the fact that they hired a coach so that they can maximize their training with less equipment. Like if you have less equipment, it's harder to intelligently program for yourself if you don't do this for a living. So reach out to somebody who can really help you maximize that. Okie dokie. How many more questions we got here? Oh, we have quite a bit. All right. Let's see how long we've been going here. That's not helpful. All right. Cool. Heading back into it here. We have a question from Nagar Junakin. he or she asks, should you take creatine during fat loss or just while bulking? The answer is both. Creatine has nothing to do with fat loss and has everything to do with performance in the gym. And so if your performance in the gym is important during a fat loss phase, because we talked about maybe muscle retention or continuing to build muscle or even just continuing to build strength and continuing to have good workouts, you should take it. 
And when you're bulking, guess what? All that stuff's still important. It's just something that has nothing to do with fat loss. It has everything to do with performance, building muscle. Um, and so building muscle and performance is important in a fat loss phase just as much as it is in a bulking phase. Cool. Next question is from Tara Full Moon, and she asks, uh, three times push-pull lower. Is it enough to maintain muscle while cutting? Oh, my God. We have a lot of m- muscle maintenance questions here. Uh, absolutely. If you program it uh, intelligently, a three times push-pull lower is plenty to maintain muscle. Let's let's make this clear right now. A three times a week program programmed intelligently with adequate volume is enough to make great gains. Full stop. There are, you know, some of the best bodybuilders in the world from the early 50s, 60s, 70s train three times a week full body. And I know that you're doing push-pull lower, but let's just, you know, focus in on three times a week here. Like, you can make great gains. And if you can make great gains, then it's synonymous to saying you can maintain muscle while cutting. So the answer is absolutely. If you if it's intelligently programmed with adequate volume and then you're actually giving a shit and really trying when you work out, it absolutely is. The amount of work that you need to do to maintain muscle is orders of magnitude lower than the amount of work you need to do to build muscle. And I'm not saying it's one set per week, but it's probably half of the work that you're doing right now, if not less. Um, and so don't give up. If, you know, I, I think about the time when I'm a new, when I become a new dad at some point, when I'm, when I have a young, when I have a young kid or young children and this idea of building and maximizing my training, that's just going to fall by the wayside. And I actually look forward to this time to finding out, you know, how little can I train and still maintain what I have? And the truth is it's very little. Three times a week is great. If you come in with intent and there's enough volume three times for a 40 to 60 minutes, like that's enough to maintain. You totally can. I would almost say you can maintain on less, depending on, you know, obviously the lower, the less you train, the more intensity you have to bring, the more volume maybe per session, but the answer is definitely yes. Cool. Next question is from Coffee and a View. I think it's a she. Uh, she asks, six weeks, four pounds down, and it feels like nothing. Should I speed it up? Man, apologies in advance. Struck a nerve here. Like, like the answer is, I don't know. Should you speed it up? Like, are you okay with that rate of progress and what it's costing you in terms of discomfort? Like, extrapolate that. Six weeks, four pounds down. Maybe you do it for 18 weeks. That's 12 pounds down. That's fucking awesome. Like, I don't, I'm always curious uh, where people come up with how fast they should be losing. And I I almost don't wonder because I know where it is. Is it's, you know, transformations that you see on Instagram. It's fucking Karen in accounting lost 12 pounds the first week doing keto. It's fucking magazine covers. And so you think, oh, I need at least a pound a week. Dude, you're, lo- you're losing two-thirds a pound a week right now. That's fantastic. Keep that rate of progress up. You're going to do amazing. Like, you're like, it feels like nothing. It feels like nothing because you're comparing yourself to you know, mostly bullshit that's out there that tells you sh- you should be losing faster. Like, this isn't a question to ask someone else. Should you speed it up? I don't know. Should you? Do you want to? Like, do you? are you understanding that what speeding up means would mean trading away some of your comfort for speed? Trading away calories for faster progress. Now, does that trade seem like something you want to do? And I go over this in a YouTube video, um, shameless plug. I'll attach it in the description and it says, you know, what to do when fat loss plateaus. I'm not saying your fat loss has plateaued, but it goes over this line of thinking of like, dude, if you want it to speed up, just know that it's going to cost you some comfort. Like you're, you're trading away calories and comfort and lifestyle, quality of life for faster progress. And that is a totally fine trade if you're okay with it. This isn't a question question to ask someone else. It's a question to ask yourself. Should I speed it up? Maybe. Do you want it to go faster? Does it going faster provide you a set of pros and cons that's worth it to you? Because if it goes faster, guess what? You're going to be eating less. 
And does that trade, if I said to you, hey, yeah, cut your calories by 200 a day and you'll see faster progress. You might be like, mm, I don't want to do that. That sounds terrible and probably will mean I'm less likely to succeed because for me, that trade isn't worth it and I'm less likely to be consistent, more likely to quit and binge. And I totally respect that. You might say, actually, you know what? I can afford to lose 200 calories if that means going up to like a pound a week. Um, because right now I'm actually pretty satiated. My lifestyle is totally fine. I'm in full control of my food. I'm not super hungry. I feel good. And I'm okay trading away some of my calories and comfort for speed. Like that makes total sense to me. You are the one in control of how fast things go. But you have to do it within the context, under the guise of, you know, this idea of trading comfort for speed. If you want it to go faster, it's going to be more uncomfortable. Some people are going to find different balances of discomfort and speed. Some people want to go really slow because it's less uncomfortable and they can sustain it for longer. That's great. Some people are going to be okay being you know, more uncomfortable because it's going to go faster and they get it over with quicker. And some people in the middle. So you're like, should I speed it up? I don't fucking know. Should you? Is that trade of comfort for speed something that makes sense to you right now? And you make these kinds of trade-offs. You make these kinds of you know, um, cost-benefit valuations every day. Every time you buy something, every time you you know, cook something. Every time you eat something, you're making these cost-benefit evaluations and you should be doing it right now. Like you're in a fat loss phase. Four pounds in six weeks, let me tell you, objectively is great progress. Stop comparing yourself to others, reading shit, you know, uh, comparing yourself to magazine covers and Instagram transformations. Like that objectively, that's wonderful. If you extrapolate that out for another six weeks, another 12 weeks, and then maybe another fat loss block, like you probably did unbelievable. Four pounds in six weeks is great. Like you're making this up, this expectation of what you should be doing. You just made it up off of a whole bunch of things that aren't really true and not really looking out for your best interest. You think people on trying to sell fucking 30 day detox programs like keto, you're like I'm not hating on keto, but I'm saying you lose a lot of weight when you, when you go keto because you fucking flush out a ton of water weight and then people just say, hey, lose nine pounds in nine days. And that, like, do you think those people really care what's best for you? Of course not. They're trying to sell something. So stop comparing yourself to them. They don't have your best interest in heart. Um, oh, sorry, struck a nerve. This idea of going faster, there's nothing inherently wrong with faster fat loss. Full stop. There's nothing inherently worse. It's about finding the right balance of comfort and speed for you. And on that note, just because I don't want to get attacked here, like, the faster you go, the more likely you should get a coach. Like it, it, it's just like, there's nothing wrong with inherently driving faster. If you need to go somewhere that's 30 miles away, like you can go as fast as you want. The faster you go, yeah, maybe the more likely you crash. I think uh, uh, across, you know, if we play the probability here, like it's more likely the people who drive faster crash more. Like, let's just say that. But that doesn't mean you will crash. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that like the person, you know, you might not prefer driving faster and getting there sooner. It costs you the same amount of gas. It's just, you know, you might increase the likelihood of crashing. And so maybe having a driving instructor next to you, a coach, helps you with that. So if you're going to go faster, if you want to go faster, the faster you go, the more likely I'd say get a coach, get someone in your corner who's going to really help you um, just improve your chances of success. Okie doke. We're going to do a couple more here. Uh, all righty then. Okay. Why is fat loss faster at the start? Sorry, the question is from Akanksha393, and she asks, or he, I think she, why is fat loss faster at the start? Why is it so hard to lose the last few pounds? Here you go. Fat loss is faster at the start for a couple of reasons. One, you lose water, glycogen, and stomach content very quickly when you lower calories. You lower calories, there's less food in you. You lower calories, it's likely less carbohydrate, less stored glycogen, less water. 
And so you lose a bunch of this like water weight and stomach content very quickly. You're also heavier at the start, right? Obviously the start of your fat loss phase, you're heavier than the end of your fat loss phase, you know, most likely. So the heavier you are, each pound that you lose is a lower percentage of your total body weight. So when people talk about how fast you should lose, realistically, a percentage of your body weight is the right way to think about it, not total net pounds. One pound loss for someone who's 300 pounds and one pound loss for somebody who's 125 pounds are very different things, right? Very different percentage. So you losing one pound in the beginning is different than you losing one pound at the end. So when you say, why is it hard to lose, lose the last few pounds? One of the main reasons is you are smaller and each pound, each half a pound, each quarter pound is a higher percentage of your total body weight than it was in the beginning. And so it's easier in the beginning because you lose water weight, glycogen, stomach content very quickly. And that stuff happens very fast. It has nothing to do with fat loss, just has to do with, you know, the transient effect of, you know, or the acute effect of eating less right away. You're also heavier at the start. So each net pound is a lower percentage of your total body weight. Totally. And the leaner you get, each pound becomes a higher percentage of your total body weight. Makes sense. Um, as far as losing the last few pounds, like you've likely been in a deficit for a while. So you probably don't feel 100%, which makes consistency a little bit harder. Maybe you're neat and your metabolism is slightly or temporarily suppressed because you've been in a deficit for a long time and there's some metabolic adaptation that's happening. And so maybe you're, you're moving a little bit less than you were in the beginning. So that deficit starts to shrink. Your body doesn't want to lose weight. It's going to reduce your need. It's going to reduce your subconscious movement in an attempt to not die. So if you've been in a deficit for a while, you probably don't feel great, which makes consistency harder. You're hungrier. Your energy's a little bit lower. And maybe your need's a little bit lower too, so you're moving less than you were in the beginning. So it becomes even harder to override that reduction in need and continue to keep your movement high. Not only that, but motivation-wise, you're a little bit blah. I mean, listen, the lower your calories go, the longer you're in a deficit, the harder it becomes practically. Not just physiologically. Physiologically, yes, it gets harder. Like we talked about, a reduction in need, et cetera. But practically, you're tired. Your motivation's maybe a little bit lower. Like you're just a little bit more irritable. You're a little hungrier. Like things get harder. Like what is the hardest mile of a marathon? The first one or the last one? Like the last one. You're exhausted. Like you're first and whatever. There's some practice. You might tell me that that's a little bit of a wrong analogy, but you get the point. Um, and I guess lastly, like depending on how lean you are, like your body doesn't want to get any leaner. Like to the point of the of Sam about, uh, in the question before, who was talking about being underweight and losing more weight, like depending on how lean you are, you're also now trending towards less health. Like your body doesn't want to lower its body fat stores to zero. Like body fat is extremely help healthful when it's, you know, uh, when you have it in the, the correct moderate amounts, let's say, you know, the really high amounts of adipose tissue, really, really heavy, like more likely. And this is weird that I'm almost thinking of this as a controversial statement, but it's not. It's more likely to lead to unhealthy outcomes, like full stop. But also on the other extreme, being super underweight and having really low body fat stores, also not optimally healthy. So, so at some point, depending on how lean you are, the person asking this question, like your body might not just want to get any leaner. Losing that last bit of fat might mean trending towards unhealth and your body just doesn't want to do that. So it's going to create an environment that makes that harder. Um, yeah, this idea of losing that last bit of fat like to lose the last bit of fat takes exponentially greater effort for exponentially worse return. Like you have to do more for less. You have to try harder for a lower amounts of net or gross total uh, weight loss. Like that first pound you lost versus the last pound you lost, 
the last pound's gonna take exponentially greater work. And so this idea of when people are like, how do I lose that last bit of belly fat? I'm like, do you want to lose that last bit of belly fat? If I told you the sacrifices it would take to lose that last bit of belly fat, you wouldn't want to do it. Like no more, uh, uh, your calories have to come super low, which would mean maybe you're not drinking anymore or uh, uh, no more you know, or less takeout, less going out to eat, like way more sacrifice. I'm not saying that sacrifice isn't worth it. Only you can decide. But when people think, oh, I'm really struggling to lose that last bit of fat, a lot of times it's because you're not realizing that in order to do that, it's going to cost something that you don't want to pay. And that's why like this idea of going from lean to really lean, it's like, I just don't think people understand how difficult that really is and what the sacrifices are. And if you knew what the sacrifices are, you'd probably stop wanting it so much. Like when you walk through Best Buy and you see those amazing TVs, the ones that like fucking the gecko looks like it's jumping out of the picture. You're like, wow, I would love to have it. It's got a fucking curve. It's 4K. It's like got all these features that you would love. And you're like, wow, I really want that thing. And then you look at the price tag. It's $5,000. Like you probably don't go home thinking about that TV. You probably don't stay up all night thinking about that TV because in your head you've decided, huh, yeah, that's cool and all, but like I don't want that thing. It's way too expensive. It costs something I'm not willing to pay. You probably don't think about it 24-7. And that's the same with fat loss. Like if you knew what getting extremely lean cost, you'd probably stop trying to convince yourself that you want it because getting super freaking lean is super hard, requires a ton of sacrifice. Um, the sacrifice that most people just, if they realize that it is the sacrifice that they'd have to make, they probably wouldn't ask this question so much. They'd probably be, you know, ha they'd probably find a happier balance before being fucking peeled shredded. They'd probably find their happiest life isn't their leanest body. Actually, I would stand by that. Um, Jordan loves copyright. Uh, <laughs> cool. Next question. I'm probably going to take two more. I don't want these episodes to be just too long. All righty then. Cool. All right. Katie May Main asks, hi, Katie. Uh, how to overcome the fear that you won't lose fat during a cut? You've tried. I've tried so many times. And and I, <laughs> first of all, love you, Katie. Uh, appreciate all of our talks. And I hate when this is the answer, and I think you already know kind of where I'm going with this because of, you know, we had a little talk about this offline, is like, hire a coach. Hire a coach. Educate yourself. Ask a million questions. Like, I'm, I am a coach. I love when my clients want to learn. I want you to learn because the more logic that you have at your disposal, the more you'll be able to reason yourself into succeeding. Like, the more you'll understand how this works. You're you have this fear or we have this fear that something won't work because you don't truly understand it. If you truly understood it, you would understand what it costs, how to do it, how to change, uh, you know, how to adjust things if things get hard. Like I'm not saying education is always the, the gap here, but a lot of people fear that they won't lose fat during a cut because they just don't really understand how to do it. They don't really understand what's going on. They don't understand how to overcome hurdles, overcome obstacles, rearrange, you know, maybe how they're eating, reprioritize fruits and vegetables, higher fiber, higher protein. Like there is just things that you might not know that are going to help you succeed. And if you don't know them, then it's hard to be very confident going into that. Like if I'm going drag racing, like I'm not going to be comfortable. Like maybe I've drag raced a bunch of times, but maybe I still don't understand it. I still like, yeah, I fucking floored it. And I, and I tried to beat the other guy, but there's skills and there's knowledge, there's tactics that I'm just not aware of. And even though I've tried it, it doesn't mean I've tried it in the right context. Like think anything, like if you play chess, I don't care how many times you play chess, little Queens Gambit here. I'm sure everybody's watched, but like, I don't care how many times you've played chess. You could play chess for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. And hours. But if you don't pick up a book, 
or hire a coach or study the game, you're not going to get that much better. Like, uh, yes, you'll get a little bit better and trial and error does help. But at some point, you need to hire somebody or something, you know, some form of continued education to really build some confidence in there. Um, it's funny we're talking about Catan here. Um, whatever, my, the friends that I'm with are actually very good at it. And so I've played it recreationally just like for fun occasionally. But um, well, the first couple times I played, I was like, I'm no amount of playing this game will help me beat these people unless I you know, watch a YouTube video on a strategy or, you know, whatever. Um, so, so a little tangent there, but like, like every time we played the first like five times we played, I was like, I'm not going to get any closer to being confident to beating these people unless I start to actually understand the game a little bit better. So for this answer, I'd say, man, hire a coach, ask a million questions. Like you overcome the fear by gaining some knowledge, hiring somebody to be in that corner, to guide you, to design a plan, to decide, you know, how, when, why you'll make adjustments to that plan. And I recommend anybody listening who's never had a coach, like hire a coach and ask a million questions. By the end of three to six months of working with that coach, you should have a vastly better knowledge about how all of this works, whether it's training or fat loss or muscle gain or supplements, whatever. Ask a million questions. You're not hiring a coach for, for to set your macros. You're hiring for somebody who's going to upgrade your shit, who's going to upgrade your knowledge, your understanding, your, your self-efficacy with all of this. And so don't, Think of a coach as somebody who's going to set your macros. Like this is this should be an educational out, outlet for you, and that's why for every client who signs up with me, I have several educational video courses that are exclusive for my online coaching clients that help them grow, help them learn, so that by the time we're done coaching, you're actually in a better place. Like I don't want to coach people forever. It's nice. I've had clients for years. It's great, but I also want to make sure that if a client leaves me at the three month mark, the six month mark, the nine month mark, like they are in a better place. Alrighty, last question here. Let's do, okay, let's do this one. Um, Mary Alice 72 asks, will reducing body fat reduce cellulite or is it really a bad fascia issue? And here's here's a lot of my thoughts. I, I feel like I answered this way for a couple of things when people talk about like, you know, what's realistic for me? Like how much can I change my body? How much can I do this? What's my potential? Here's the deal. You and everybody else listening to this all have the same power to build muscle, to lose fat, to get stronger, to be more competent in the gym. Everybody has the opportunity to do that. Full stop. We all have that same opportunity. You can lose body fat. Everyone can do a calorie deficit. You can gain muscle. You can resist and strain. Yes, we have different genetics, and obviously it's going to be inter-individuality for each one of those things, how good you are, how easy it comes to you. But everybody listening to this can build muscle. Everybody listening to this can lose fat. Everybody listening to this can get stronger, can get more competent in the gym. You can do all of those things. Cellulite is something that we just don't know exactly. You know, at this point in time, there's nothing you can do to get rid of cellulite outside of building muscle in that area and losing fat in that area. And even doing that isn't going to just magically remove all of your cellulite because there's a large genetic component. I mean, I don't know if it's a bad fascia issue. What I do know is that there's a there's part of the there's part of the cellulite that you cannot control. That is genetic. It's just not something that you're going to be able to do something about. There's also part of it that you can do something about. You can lose muscle. Oh, uh, you can lose fat, and you can gain muscle. And I always want people to understand this. People are like, "Hey, what's realistic for me? How how, how jack do you think I can get, dude? You can always only do your best." Just do your best. Take the principles at hand. Take calorie deficit. Take high protein. Take hard training. Take calorie surplus. Take muscle gain. All of those things that are controllable by you are available to you just because it's like, you know, you're like everybody else. You have these same options. And just do your best. Like, 
I don't know how worrying about what you're capable of. I think I have a lot of questions sometimes, like how jacked can I get? What's my genetic potential? Like, who fucking cares? Like, I'm not saying that, I, I don't want to come off as uh, asympathetic here to cellulite issues, but like, there's part of the cellulite issue that you can't do anything about. And what you can do something about is you can lose, uh, lose fat and build muscle in that area. So this idea, like we spend way too much time worrying about the things we can't control and not enough time stepping boldly, to quote my friend Jared Hamilton, stepping boldly and taking full responsibility of the things we can control. So my answer to you is, will reducing, uh, the question is, will reducing body fat reduce cellulite? Maybe, very possibly. But also building muscle is going to help that. And you, guess what? You can do both of those things. You can lose body fat. You can build muscle. So focus on those two things. Don't worry about, don't, don't go reading blogs about how you can't do shit about it. You have the same options as everybody else. You can build muscle. You can lose fat. You can get stronger. You can get more competent in the gym. All of that is available to you. So focus on that. Lose, if you want to try losing some body fat, seeing what happens, and then maybe go through a muscle building phase, see what happens, see if things change. And then I'd be remiss if I didn't say something like, listen, everybody or most people has cellul have cellulite. Most people, full stop, most people. You are not alone. Um, does it make you beautiful or not? Does it make you worthy or not? And uh, some people are going to roll their eyes when I talk like this. But it's not something that is going to make or break your life. And, and it is not anybody's fault except for magazines and marketing and, and, excuse me, targeted bullshit that's made you believe that you need to not have cellulite. That's bullshit. It's Instagram. It's it's the perfect fucking highlight reel that's made you feel like you need to not have cellulite, like you shouldn't have cellulite, like, like you should do everything in your power to not have cellulite. Man, I don't know. But for something that has a large gen genetic component and something that almost everybody has, that most people have, to worry so much about it, to f be so myopic, tunnel visioned on fixing that one thing, when in reality, like it doesn't make you any more or less beautiful. Like it makes you human. Um, I just don't want to see people trend towards, you know, trend away from their happiest life in the pursuit of the slightest reduction in cellulite over a decade, you know, like you're never going to fully, or you're very unlikely to fully get a, a rid of all your cellulite. Like, can you get leaner? Sure. Can you build muscle? Yes. Is that probably going to help? Yes. But just make sure you're keeping tabs on like your overall best life. And if your entire life revolves around getting rid of your cellulite and you're just not really living a full life, not really getting all the other good things about fitness, you're not really benefiting from whatever, the confidence aspect and, and the mental growth that can happen from fitness because you're so focused on this one thing. I don't know. I think you could live a happier life than that. But yeah, just not, I'm not saying you can't focus on this. You totally can. I never am going to be somebody uh, who tells you what you can and can't work on. You can work on this. I think it's totally fine. Just make sure that you remind yourself, hey, I'm going to control what I can and I'm going to let go of what I can't control. And as long as I do that, I'll continue to take steps forward and I won't get myself, you know, uh, I won't go crazy over it because, you know, it's more likely you go crazy when you're worried about stuff you can't control than if you just continue to just freaking do your best with the principles that you know and the, and the tools you have at hand. All right, guys, this went pretty well, I thought. Um, I apologize if the sound quality isn't what it normally is. I'm going to do my best to do some some editing, and so hopefully it comes out a little bit better. Um, and, yeah, I'll be in Arizona until... February 1st. I'm going to try my best to do a couple more of these. Uh, I have some other work that I'll be working on. Uh, I just mentioned those video courses for my exclu ex exclusively for my online coaching clients. I want to redo those. Um, I don't know why I'm telling you all of this, but it's just something that that's really one of the big tasks I want to do while, I, while I'm out here. So I'll probably get another couple of these done. I actually am having jo Joelle Samantha come on the show. She's a wonderful coach. Um, 
definitely going to be a really great episode. So that'll come out late January and I'll probably do one or two or more of these. Um, so yeah, thanks for listening guys. I'm always happy to answer your questions. When I put, throw up a Q and a box, chances are a lot of those are going to be for, um, the podcast, but I'm going to answer some of them on Instagram. So don't ever hesitate to reach out. If you want your question answered on Instagram or the podcast, I'll do my best to answer all of them. If I didn't answer yours today, I apologize. And I will see you guys in the next episode. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of where optimal meets practical. If you enjoyed it, if you found value, do me a favor and take a screenshot of your phone and post it to your social media. If you do, tag me so I can say thanks. If you ever want to get in touch with me, you can reach me at Jordan Lips Fitness on Instagram, or you can email me, jordanlips at jordanlipsfitness.com, or check out the website, jordanlipsfitness.com. I'd love to chat. Have a great day.